The teaching for this evening comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-13. through 13. This is God's word. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you'll notice there in your worship folder that... um, I'm not Matt Clegg. I'm Will Spokes. And uh, Matt Clegg is our pastoral resident and newly hired assistant pastor. He'll begin sometime this fall once he finishes out uh, some internship responsibilities and takes a bunch of exams and is approved for ordination. But uh, the reason he's not here, he he texted me about 5.30 this morning. Uh, He's started throwing up about 2 a.m., and he and I just got back from Greensboro from the uh, Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly this week. And it has gone through his whole house, I think. So he got home in the first two nights back. He's, so anyway, you can pray for the Cleggs. Um, it's never fun with a house full of uh, little ones and that happens. But I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and try and preach the same text that he was going to preach and keep us on uh, pace with... Uh, Second Timothy, and um, he has been working through this book through over the past year. Every t- chance he gets a chance to preach, and um, tonight we come to this passage uh, in chapter two, these verses eight through thirteen. And just to give you a little bit of picture about this book, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is, we could say, uh, a younger minister who at the end of Paul's life, he's, he's passing on to him uh, his last words, uh, as it were. Paul is writing from Rome, and he's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And Ephesus is one of the main places that Paul did ministry during his uh, ministerial life. But he's now in Rome, and he's in prison. And this is a book, along with 1 Timothy, that are basic instructions for how Timothy is to carry on in the, in the life of faith and in Christian ministry after Paul is gone. And Paul here, as he passes on the baton to Timothy, he knows that Timothy will face all kinds of opposition and conflict and suffering, not to mention his own weaknesses, his own insecurities, his own frailties and fears And therefore, the question is that I want us to look at from this passage is, how is Timothy supposed to withstand all that? How is he supposed to endure? How is he supposed to actually continue, not only in in ministry, which is more unique for him, but just as a Christian in the life of faith, which if you're a Christian, that's you. How are you supposed to endure in the midst of All of these things that come at you. Let's just think for a moment. What's it like for you to identify with Jesus? 
What's it like for you in your normal everyday life to name the name of Jesus in the various places in which you live? Or perhaps you're here, you're listening in, and you're, and you're not a Christian. What, what do you imagine it would be like if you did identify with Jesus? What do you think people would think or say or do? Paul, see, he knows he's writing to, to someone like Timothy who struggles with fear and insecurity, who needs help to navigate conflict and criticism and suffering. And so what I want us to see from this passage is that Paul, uh, to give you an image, he gives us what I'm calling a a three-legged stool upon which we can lean all of our weight no matter what we face. He gives us a three-legged stool upon which you can lean all your weight no matter what you face. And it actually does matter how we put the the legs on the stool. So I want to begin first by giving you the three legs and then working through each one. The first one is, he gives us his, remember Jesus. That's the first leg. The second leg is hope in God's word. And the third is endure everything for the sake of the gospel. Those are the three legs that Paul is giving you, not, not, just, not just if you're in full-time ministry, but if you are a person who is trying to figure out or make sense of what does it mean to follow Jesus? How does a person do that? These are the three legs you need to remember Jesus, hope in God's word, and endure everything for the sake of the gospel. So let's first look at remember Jesus. Look in verse 8 and 9. Here he says, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Here Paul says at the very, very beginning, he says, Remember the Jesus that I've always preached to you. Remember the Jesus that I have preached in my gospel. Paul here is taking us and Timothy back to the basics of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, this might sound so simple it would just kind of pass over you, but remembering who Jesus is and what he came to do, that is where the life of faith begins and it's where the life of faith grows. That's where it begins and how it grows is simply remembering Jesus. And Paul here gives us two keys of things to remember. And, you know, whenever life gets overwhelming, or the things that you're supposed to remember you can't remember, you don't need a lot of information. What you need are just the most simple, basic things. And so that's what Paul gives us. He gives us two keys to remember, especially when it's impossible to remember anything else. He says here, notice in verse 8, remember Jesus risen from the dead. What do you need to remember about him? Jesus is alive. That's the first thing Paul tells you to remember, that Jesus is alive And not only that, he tells us that Jesus is alive because to refer to Jesus as risen from the dead radically changes your entire perspective 
about suffering. To say that Jesus is risen from the dead implies that he suffered and he was crucified and he rose again from the dead. You see, for most of us, when we encounter suffering or persecution or hardship of any kind, we usually tend to think, I think if we're honest, that that must not be really where, that's not how things should be going. But if you look at the cross, you can't help but realize that suffering isn't ancillary or secondary to God's purposes. It's central to it. Now, does that mean that all suffering is good? Absolutely not. Nowhere does the Bible say that Jesus dying on the cross was a good thing, intrinsically good. But what the cross tells you now, no matter what you face, God uses suffering and hardship to bring about his good purposes. It radically changes your entire take on suffering and hardship. And in fact, for Paul to say here that Jesus is alive reminds us of what Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 when he wrote that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, the resurrection, to know that Jesus is alive means that God is more powerful than all the sin and evil of humanity. The resurrection means that God is more powerful than your sin. That's the first thing. Jesus is alive. But then second, he says, Jesus is God's Messiah. Look again in verse 8. He says that Jesus is the offspring of David. Now, that's a shorthand way to connect Jesus to the whole story of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we read that Jesus is not only David's offspring, but also Abraham's offspring. He's the one through whom all of God's promises are fulfilled. If you want to know what God has been up to all throughout the Bible, you have to get to Jesus because he tells us that the entire Bible is all about him. And Paul tells us in another letter that it's all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. Now, what what does this mean? You see, Paul, notice what he does here. He tells us, remember Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, and then verse 9, for which I am suffering. Now, it might be easy here to go, well, this is Paul. He's an apostle. He's, you know, a professional Christian. And, of course, he's suffering for Jesus. That's what he's supposed to do. But I don't want you to, I want you to just pause for a moment and, and think, though, He's a man just like you and me. Would not it have been easy for Paul even, who suffered in ways that we'll hear about here in a moment that are far beyond what I would guess any of us have ever even come close to, let alone imagined. Wouldn't it not have been easy for him to be like, why is this happening? Where is God in all this? Does this, is this all true? 
Or is this all just one big hoax and it doesn't work? He could have totally said that. But notice what he says. He says, remember Jesus, according to my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound as a criminal. You see, he interprets his own situation, his own experience, in light of the very gospel he's calling you to remember. Here, he's helping you to realize that putting yourself in the story of Jesus as the offspring of David is critical for the life of faith. Because our tendency is to put ourselves in all kinds of other stories. Either ones that you make up or ones that others put on you or that you aspire to embody. And here, Paul gives you two things to help you remember Jesus. He is alive. And he is God's Messiah, David's offspring, his only chosen king, through whom you can see what it looks like for God to have power, for God to rule through suffering and through it to bring new life. Now, why does he give us such simple instruction here of remember Jesus? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. When you find yourself under pressure or you personally are suffering or someone you love is suffering or you see things in this world that feel like they actually leave a dent on your soul because it's so horrendous. How easy is it and tempting is it to look for relief elsewhere? Whether it be hiding in your work, uh, entertainment, pornography, flipping through Instagram or Facebook or the next tweet or alcohol, There are all kinds of ways that we are tempted to retreat and find relief elsewhere. But here he gives you these basic, simple instructions. Because to remember Jesus is simply like going back to the basics. So for example, uh, my my boys were super into the NBA Finals this year because of Steph Curry is the coolest person ever, according to them. And One of the things we noticed again and again, these are the best athletes in the world in that sport. Whenever you heard a player or a coach talk and the commentators ask the the weirdest questions sometimes, like, what will it take to win, you know, to beat the other team or whatever, the coaches are like, well, we need to play really good defense. We need to box out. We need to rebound. Well, Those are the most fundamental basic things without which you cannot win, even at the highest level. Or take, for example, today's, I guess, the last day of the U.S. Open, which I care about. Um, It's, uh, I, I, I love watching the U.S. Open. And I guarantee you, if you watch the player who's gonna win the tournament, or maybe the two or three who may come down the, the end, the last few holes, What you'll see them do is they will stick to their routine. They will do the same thing again and again and again. They stick with what they know. 
They stick with the basics. That is very much what Paul is telling us here. How can you endure in the Christian life? You need to remember Jesus. You need to remember that he is alive. And you need to remember that he is the offspring of David. That he is the story in which your story fits. So what does remembering Jesus then do for us, no matter what our situation? Look in verse 9. Here's Paul. He says, remember Jesus, according to his gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. What does Paul, he he is remembering the gospel for us here. What does that bring about in his life? He says again in verse 9, he says, but the word of God is not bound. Remembering Jesus enables you to see beyond your circumstances. Even and especially when they are painful, they are lonely, and even futile to remember that God is at work, even and especially when I am limited and incapable. That's what he's telling us here. And in fact, this is what we see throughout the New Testament. If you look in the book of Acts, here Paul is helping us to see something. It's a pattern. It's how God works all the time. He's realizing that despite his situation, God's word, this gospel is not imprisoned. It's not bound like he is. If you look at Acts uh, chapter 8, this is early on in the, in the new story of the church, persecution has broken out in Jerusalem, and Christians now have been scattered, and one that Luke mentions is, is Philip, who leaves Jerusalem and goes to Samaria. And if you know anything about uh, the story of the New Testament and that period in time, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along, but Philip, as a result of persecution, goes to Samaria and starts preaching the gospel, and all kinds of people come to know this Jesus. People who actually, prior to which, didn't want any, have anything to do with a Jewish person. The word of God is not bound. It's not limited by efforts to squelch it. And in fact, Paul in Philippians remembers a time when he was in prison and he says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here Paul's in prison. And even as he's in prison, the good news of the gospel is heard by those watching him in prison. Despite efforts to squelch what he's doing. Another, another way to think about this, Rodney Stark, he's a sociologist who is an expert in early church history and writes about the statistics of how the Christian church moved, or grew. How did this relatively insignificant, uh, backwards sort of corner of the world, uh, strange Messiah, rabbi figure Jesus and his movement become a worldwide religion in a very short amount of time? It's one of the more fascinating questions historically to consider. And he tells us how this, he says, in A.D. 40, there were approximately 1,000 Christians. So let's say seven or so years or more after um, the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
By AD 40, about 1,000 Christians. By AD 350, there were 350 million. And if you look at any of the history, the Christian church experienced untold persecution, untold efforts to squelch this good news. And Paul is telling us, look, I am in prison, but the word of God is not bound. Now, what does that mean for you personally? Let me put it like this. Perhaps you came in this, here this evening and um, you've had a bad week. You have found yourself either doing things or saying things that you seemingly cannot stop doing. And maybe to some extent you might even like doing them and at the very same time you hate doing them and you know it's wrong. Or maybe there are people in your life, someone in your life who's entrapped in that kind of scenario. Or maybe that's not where you are tonight, but you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it in your past. What Paul is telling us here, when he says that the word of God is not bound, he's telling us that God's word, the power of the gospel, is more powerful than your sin. That no matter how guilty or ashamed or defeated you may feel, Paul is telling us that the gospel cannot be bound by your sin and failure. And so he says, remember Jesus. So he says, remember Jesus. He says, hope in God's word. And if we put in place these two legs to the stool to remember Jesus, to hope in God's word, Where does that bring us? What will it produce? This is where endurance comes from. So that Paul then says here in verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For Paul to remember Jesus and to know that God's word is unbound is what moved him and motivates him to endure everything for God's people. And notice here for a moment, when he says to endure everything, what does he have in mind? Well, if you were to look back into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a very clear picture of what he has endured. Things like imprisonments, countless beatings. He was often near death. Five times he received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day adrift at sea. He was in danger from his own Jewish kinsmen. He was in danger from Gentiles who saw him as a threat. He was a danger whether he was in the city. He was in danger if he was in the wilderness. He was in danger at sea. He was in danger from false brothers. He spent days and months in toil and hardship countless sleepless nights, often in hunger and thirst, often without food, exposed to the cold and the elements. And if that wasn't enough, he tells us that he suffered under and was weighed down under the daily pressure and the anxiety he had for all the churches. 
Now my guess is you hear that and it can feel very far removed. And perhaps not at all your experience. But perhaps what I think you should do and, and, and what I've done in thinking about this is consider Jesus. What was Paul, why did Paul endure all that? Because he followed Jesus. What did Jesus endure? Well, Jesus endured being misunderstood. He lost friends. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was ridiculed. He was wrongfully and unjustly treated. Now, did did, did any of those ring a bell? You see, I'm sure you've been misunderstood. I'm sure that perhaps some of you have been betrayed deeply, that you've lost friends even, because perhaps you have identified yourself with Jesus. You see, Paul endured everything for the sake of the elect, and why does he do this? Paul tells us here, very interesting phrase, he endures everything for the sake of the elect in order that they may obtain this salvation. Why does he put it like that? Why does he say, for the sake of the elect? And the reason is because Paul understands that salvation is by grace alone. That God doesn't wait for you and me to wise up and figure this out and go, oh, I just, if I, I figured it out, I just need to trust God. See, the Bible says you will never, ever trust him unless God first makes the first move. And because God makes the first move, Paul knows that no matter how much he must endure, how much suffering he must face, none of it is ever a loss. Because God works through his people to rescue his own. He doesn't just make it possible for people to be rescued. He actually rescues people. And that's why Paul continues to endure as he does. Now, how can you endure like that? How can I I endure like this? Just to read that list of what Paul went through, or even to read the story of Jesus and begin to see the things that Jesus went through, how do you endure like that? And I think the answer is very simple. You cannot endure unless the endurance of Jesus for you remakes you from the inside out. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and then he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you live the life of faith? You remember Jesus and his endurance for you. And you allow these words that, that Paul says here at the very end. He says, if we've died with him, we'll live with him. In other words, if you're united to Jesus, what's true of him will be true of you. If we endure, we'll reign with him. There are better things yet to come. 
And even in the midst of this, Paul gives us a warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But then notice, even that warning to not allow the realities of this life to, to lure you away from Jesus, he says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's another way of saying, how do you endure this side of heaven? It's because Jesus is faithful. He has endured for you. And because he has endured for you, he promises to give you that same life in his spirit that you might endure with him so that you might reign with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we read these words and as we learn from these scriptures how it is that we can live the life of faith not in order to get into it, but because by grace you are a God who rescues us to a whole new life. We pray that you would help us to remember Jesus, that you would help us to hope in your word, and that as a result of those through faith in Jesus, you would give us grace to endure for others as he has endured for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.